Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down-to-earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's new cyber frontier. Welcome to today's episode of New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking with Karen Anderson, an experienced consultant in cyber and discovery. And I'm not 100% sure what that involves, so we're going to hear today from Karen. I know I've worked with people who have talked about discovery a couple times and e-discovery. I want to ask if that's something different, but we'll get there. But first of all, Karen, thanks for joining today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Definitely. So give us your background, how you got to where you're at, and maybe a little definition of what those things you do mean. Yeah, so I started out in the 90s where if you were around and you could spell IT, you were in. So it was kind of the right time, the right place, or the wrong time, the wrong place. Just depends. Um, I started working on SAP implementations. I was working for Anderson Consulting. And I wasn't using all of my time for what I was doing. I was an engagement controller. And from there, I was able to help out the project team whenever I finished my own job. And I started working on the implementation, didn't really know what it meant or what I was doing. An opening came up for SAP security. So I interviewed and applied and I got the job. I didn't really know what it meant. And that started my technical (laughs) career. Um, I did a number of implementations and I started working at a company, Thomson Reuters, which also does Westlaw. And after doing the basis work for the SAP project for about six years or so, I wanted to do something a little more client facing because that's more of my personality. And I applied for a pre-sales job for software for law firms that would work with knowledge management and documents. And I started working in that world and that started introducing the whole notion of data, relevancy, indexing, taxonomy, any of those things that were pretty fascinating. Um, And then I had a friend who worked in legal recruiting. She had a job that she said sounded like me and she asked if she could send my resume. And I said, sure. And it was for a company called Kroll on track, which I had no idea what computer forensics were or discovery myself. I applied for the job. I didn't need the job. So you can be very candid in the interview. And I landed the job and it was the best thing I ever did. Hmm. I worked for Kroll both on track and advisory for about eight years and it was so fascinating because the whole world of discovery is exactly what it sounds like. You're learning about things, investigations, computer forensics, and a lot of what they did was more at the national level. So not the small divorce case onesie twosie, but more a lot of what you read in the headlines and such. So it's a pretty exciting industry. Interesting. So questions I had about your, when you said you started SAP and you got a security job. Was that mostly just like passwords and user accounts at that point? Well, it's actually working within SAP to develop the security because it's all object based, Uh but it reported to corporate security. So the first thing they did was give me Unix level root access, which I didn't even know what that was. (laughs) So looking back now, I have to laugh at that because that was probably not a good decision. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you were the best person for the job, obviously. (laughs) So there there wasn't a, a, a... 
say the the bar wasn't that high at that time, right? Or maybe they just assumed, which people often tend to do, that obviously I'm applying for security. I must know these things. But that's one thing you want to keep in mind is always good to ask questions rather than just blindly trust. You know, I remember probably back in that time, it was anybody that that wanted to be in security. It was like, okay, if you're interested in this, go. Because there was real no history before that. And yeah. it was, yeah, it was new. It was like, yeah, it's like, okay, try it out. Because who are you going to get if there's no experienced people in it, right? I sometimes wonder if we've developed very much since those days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, let's take a break. We'll hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Um, but one of the things I want you to talk about is there's a couple t- t- terms you mentioned but is, you know, what is discovery and how does that and forensics meet and how are they different? But we'll be right back after we hear from our sponsors. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking with Karen Anderson. And before the break, we had talked about her work in discovery. And you had mentioned forensics as a term. You mentioned relevancy, data taxonomy. I want to understand those a little bit instead of just as terms. And what is discovery, forensics, and, and the differences? Yeah, it's an excellent question. So if you think about cybersecurity in general, it's a lot like the word art. It means so many different things. And so this is really one aspect of it, because if you find yourself in a situation where the FBI, the DOJ just came and raided your company, obviously you've hit their purview for a reason and you want to know what is it that they're alleging so that you can go ahead and respond. Now, the same thing happens in litigation as well. Somebody files a lawsuit against you or they're alleging something. So they're going to look for any type of proof. So if you think about CSI in the crime world, Electronic discovery is very similar. Um, And don't forget paper as well, which people often tend to do because of the word electronic. But what you're trying to do is find any evidence that what people were alleged of doing, did they do what's being alleged or did they not? So think of all the different places you would look to. So just like in a crime scene, electronic evidence has properties that you need to maintain. Uh, You need to use a chain of custody. You need to put it in a sealed evidence bag to make sure that somebody doesn't tamper with it. But when you start to think about things being alleged, it's a great way to know who was discussing it, who was involved, what other things were being said. Is there any actual facts to what's being said? Um, So it can really introduce is what happened, what happened, who was involved. But the other thing it can do is start to introduce where there's a discrepancy or there's a gap or there's a timeline, which would kind of indicate that perhaps some evidence has been destroyed. So from a discovery standpoint, you're going to find out within a company, let's just take Coca-Cola for an example. 
if somebody stole their secret recipe or they were doing something to their recipe that somebody would determine was not safe, perhaps the FBI or the DOJ would get involved in and say, hey, we think that you're accidentally killing people or purposely killing people and we're going to do an investigation. So they come in and they raid your company and they take all kinds of data. And now you need to sit and build the same set of data to determine what's being alleged. Um, and you'll get a subpoena that will be very specific about what's being looked for, but they're going to ask you for perhaps um, any of your trials from when you're developing the recipe, if there were any types of complaints against the recipe, if there were emails, if there were salespeople making false representations. So you start to think about what would that look like from a company standpoint and what type of data would be involved. So you have to find the guy who knows everything and every company has one. And you also have to understand technical language and lawyer language because they're very different. So if a lawyer says, I want all emails, somebody who's an exchange administrator would say, oh, that means something very different to me. Now, the lawyer's job is to go into the courtroom and they have to be prepared to go in and have a negotiation with the other side, but they don't understand tech technology very often. So you want to make sure that they can negotiate when they go into the courtroom. So helping them understand what does this playing field look like? Do I have three years of email and I have some custom databases I need to get data out of? What else do I have that will go ahead and represent whatever's being alleged? So start thinking about all the different places data resides. And then they're also going to talk about who would be involved. So think about who are the suspects or the key custodians, because you're going to then negotiate with the other side or the government as to who are we going to take a look at. So thinking about a cast of characters or perpetrators or suspects, or maybe they're the good guys, you need to identify who is involved in the matter. Who do we need to talk to? What do we need to know? And then there's another whole aspect to it that's a protocol. And a discovery protocol is kind of like the rules of the game. So if you're playing any game, what are both sides going to agree to? Judges also don't always know a lot about technology. So you need somebody who's able to navigate this and explain it to everyone involved so that as they make decisions, they're making smart decisions. And all of this has to happen before the case starts. So you have to agree up front what you're going to do. But if you think about technology, if I have a backup that's corrupt, I'm not gonna know that until six months from now or a number of months from now. Or if a lawyer doesn't know what they're arguing for and they agree, I don't need email that's older than 30 days or I don't need metadata. And these are things that lawyers will agree to. They just shot themselves in the foot because metadata will tell you a lot about when a file was created, how far back does it go, who owned it, any of these different things has it been tampered with. So it's pretty challenging to walk into a courtroom, not understand technology, but be able to negotiate how this game is going to unfold. Um, and a lot of litigation matters can go on for a number of years. So trying to help lawyers understand what they need to know in order to negotiate this game well. And then also helping to understand a company very quickly so that you can very um, expeditiously go ahead and answer these requests for documents. So if you think about, for example, what all information be relevant to the making of Coca-Cola, you'd have to understand who was in marketing and sales, what did they claim it did, who was involved in intellectual property and coming up with the recipe, who had access to it, how far back does it go? Any of these different things to go ahead and have those conversations within the actual courtroom, if that makes sense. Interesting. So I, I hear your excitement in this area. Yeah. Um, and um, 
working for the company, like defending them or working for the government, it's almost like there's two nemesis sides to this. Is that what I'm hearing? Yep, there's two sides. So it could be two different companies. Let's say I think that you are knocking off my recipe and you shouldn't. So you've stolen my intellectual property. We're going to be two sides. So there's, you know, opposing sides. And I would work for the company. So if I went and interviewed the staff, I would be working as their ally or working on their behalf. But what gets interesting is if you're in the middle of an investigation and I come in to talk to you about how you do your job, I need to make you feel really comfortable so that you open up and tell me honestly what you feel is going on, which is hard for a lot of people because let's say, for example, you don't like your boss or maybe you haven't been doing your job as people thought you were for the last two years. We need to know that so we can represent it accordingly in court. So it's a little bit of investigations. It's understanding people and what they do, asking good questions. Because if you start to have a little bit of a twitch or you look really uncomfortable, that's what tells me to get out the dental tools and poke a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Because I want to know if you're doing something unusual. Or let's say, for example, if you're in the middle of a case and you're on a litigation hold, you can't be destroying evidence. And so I would want to know that quickly. If you start to tell me, oh, I used to have all of these audio recordings going back several years, but once I got this litigation hold notice, I deleted all of them. I'm going to get real curious because I would want to know why did you feel you had to delete them? But secondly, from a court standpoint, that's destruction of evidence and that could get us in a lot of hot water. But thinking about email, for example, if you deleted all your emails on a particular topic, I know where email still resides, where we could still potentially get that data and go ahead and be able to go ahead and retrieve it so that we can search through it and hand over what we need to. So you're kind of finding what's called the smoking gun or the needle in the haystack. You think about massive amounts of data, you start weaving in a lot of concepts like data analytics, searching, taxonomy. So for example, if you wanted to know beverages within Coca-Cola, you want to be able to refine your search so you're only getting the relevant information you want because lawyers are going to have to review it in a short time frame. But you also need to make sure that you don't put in the company name because if you put in Coca-Cola, it would return every document within the company that was on letterhead or mention the company name. So it gets pretty interesting trying to refine those search terms so that you get the smallest set of most relevant data in a short amount of time so you don't miss something. Interesting. So, um, and we're going to take a break and hear from our sponsors, but when we come back, I want to understand more about this, you know, when you, when you're interviewing people and you find something that you're looking for, this smoking gun, as you said, uh, is that, uh, often an individual thing or is it a company effort to hide something? But let's hear from our sponsors and we want to come back in a minute. Be right back. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. On today, talking to Karen Anderson, uh, consultant for Discovery. And uh, 
we were talking before the break about um, the the human aspect and talking to the person and looking for you know what have they they tried to to hide or obfuscate or and what and then thinking why would they do that um, yeah absolutely so you when know you're it's kind of I was going to say, when you're looking at that and you're talking to somebody, is it you're going in as a company representative trying to find information to support their case, and you find this, you still want to know all the the information that might be in against their case? Is that kind of, or which side are you usually on when you go into a company? Well, we're usually responding to something, so we're trying to show that either we did not do something wrong or the client that I'm working for can explain why somebody thinks something occurred, right? So I'm just finding any supporting documentation to mm -hmm. either respond or to um, state what they did was just uh, reasonable and why. Okay. So part of that is going through a company and understanding who knows the topic and asking questions. Now, if something seems a little unusual, then I'm going to ask some more questions because it's about, as the term says, discovery. What can I discover about this? You also asked previously about computer forensics. How does this feed into it? So if you were a custodian, I would come and talk to you. I would ask you about your job. How long have you been there? What different things do you do? If you and your role were doing some type of testing, where do you put the test result? How do you typically organize your information? And then I would explain to you that at the end of this, we're also going to take an image of your computer and it's going to be a bit by bit, meaning anything that exists on that computer, we're going to do an exact copy. Now that makes some people uncomfortable if they've been doing something they shouldn't be, but here's where this gets interesting. Most people don't understand discovery. They don't have a reason to, but what can sometimes happen is let's say, for example, you're having an affair, which has absolutely nothing to do with what we're looking for. You start to come unglued a little bit because you don't want anyone to know that you have somebody on the side. And so they start to kind of come unraveled. So I have to ask some more questions to understand is your discomfort because of something related to what we're interested in or did you just make bad decisions? But where this is really helpful is because I work in cybersecurity as well, I can help people be proactive by helping them make good policies and explain to people that, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing these things on work issued devices because there might be some time when we need to take a closer look. And it's not because we're even interested in what you're doing as a person, but as a company, we need to defend the things that we're doing. And I think people don't always think about privacy, but what happens then is I was explaining computer forensics come along and we make an image of the computer. Most of the processing is automated. So let's say, for example, you have some inappropriate photos. I would probably never know that because most of what we do is automated. It goes on search terms and other criteria. But if you start to react negatively, I'm going to be curious what that's about. If you start to ask me questions like, can I delete something off of this computer before you copy it? That's just going to make me that much more interested. <laughs> and I'm going to have to explain to counsel we need to take a closer look at Bob Johnson, for example. And where this gets even more interesting is, let's say, for example, you're going through the review process. Then once this data has been um, processed and put in a review database, there are times you find out there's evidence of a different crime that you didn't even know existed. But because you're not going through volumes of data, maybe you find out that somebody's um, 
perhaps having an affair with somebody who is working for them or it's inappropriate or perhaps they're selling stolen goods during their work <laughs> job. And so when something like that happens, you need to let counsel know so they can advise their client. But it's just kind of one of these funny things that happens when you meet people and you ask questions and say, hey, tell me about what you're doing. So it can get real fascinating in a hurry because people are always the uh, risky element. Interesting. So the um, the connection there with cybersecurity was was interesting to me, and I was I was, I was l listening for as you were talking in the first half of the show. Well, how does this connect to cybersecurity? You know, the forensics connection is there, but then your background in cybersecurity leads to being able to know where to find things and and how how yeah. to, to look for where data is stored, where records, where logs go, where email backups are. Tell me some other connections that you feel, hey, my first part of my career in cybersecurity really lent to what I do now. Yeah, so after my time in discovery, I started going more deep into cybersecurity because um, what I'm describing also lends itself very nicely to data breach response. Because in responding to a data breach, you have to understand what's the set of data we think was lost. And you have to go through that data and you have to identify what is it we need to notify somebody on, right? Mm -hmm. So all of this dovetails together and kind of completes the full circle. So in going through massive amounts of data, you're able to go through and it's not just the notifiable stuff we're all familiar with, you know, name and social security number, name and account number with a pin, any of those different things. But there's other aspects to data that lawyers would want to know about so they, they can go ahead and advise. So let's say, for example, that it's HIPAA information, medical information. Something happened to one of your family members where they're no longer alive, but I have a photo of them after whatever traumatic event. Is that considered notifiable? Well, that's up to the lawyer to go ahead and decide, but it's not your traditional understanding of it's a name and a social security number, but there's some reputational damage there. There's somebody who wants to be caring and empathetic and go ahead and let somebody know because that could be really disarming if it were able to pop up in someplace else or be used against you. There's also different things like, let's say, for example, there was a file of your largest financial contributor and it's a financial dossier. And let's say perhaps there's not something that's specifically a notifiable situation from a data breach perspective. But that's a huge relationship perspective that somebody would want to make the phone call and try to be honest and upfront about it. Because if that person found out that all this information was leaked about them, they're going to be not very happy about it. And I think in those situations, diplomacy and transparency can really go a long ways. So while it's outside of what we typically think of from a data breach perspective and responding, I think there's a lot more to this than people realize. The other thing it does is it helps dispel this notion of blindly trusting. So I might have a job to do, but I'm a very curious person. So it fits my personally, my personality well, because I like to ask questions why. I am the person that will go down the rabbit hole and sometimes it's very helpful. But if you think about data management, data privacy, that's the proactive side. Now that I've seen what happens when you shoot yourself in the foot, I can help use those recommendations and helping you avoid doing it in the future. I can tell you why you want to make sure that employees know what to do with their sensitive data so it's not accidentally lost. I want to help make sure end users have security awareness training, 
but I want to make it interesting to them. So for example, I was doing security awareness training to a room full of electric linemen. Now they couldn't really be less interested in cybersecurity and I don't really blame them. So the first thing I started to explain is when you're texting what you think is a supermodel on the phone, and you've never met her. Did you ever stop to think that this could really be a 40 year old dude? And that gets their attention very quickly. So trying to get people to understand why they want to think about data and why they want to think about things like cybersecurity is all about putting it in a level that's interesting and approachable for whoever your audience is. And I think that's also very key to discovery. What is it I need to know? What should I think about? And then also from a data management perspective, if I know what happens downstream and it becomes a nightmare for any company, I can help you make smart decisions upfront and protect and make sure that your users are making good decisions and that your policies are clear, which is really what a lot of this comes down to. Interesting. So with, with that knowledge and that look to that view, what are maybe top three things you would say to somebody organizing privacy and the privacy of, of their content that they should look at? from your perspective. Yeah. So there's really a big uh, buzz in the industry right now is we have the California Consumer Protection Act and we have the GDPR. It all comes down to data and what is your understanding of your data and where it resides. Do something that will give you a tangible answer. So don't go on this blind assumption of where I think stuff is stored. Where is your data actually stored? And don't just think of the application where it's nicely organized and it's in a database. Think of all the stuff that's outside of that application. And do you have users who are the wild, wild west doing what they want and you wouldn't be able to know if something went missing or not? Do you have a handle on where your data resides? That's a really big component of any of the data privacy legislation that's kind of coming down the pike. You're gonna have to be able to state that, especially if you have a data breach. Um, secondly, making sure that you're having good policies to help people understand, because if this isn't the world that you live in, you don't really know what are the decisions I should be making. My favorite policy is an acceptable use policy because you're gonna let people know there are times we might have to go through your information because that's a normal course of business. Maybe don't be doing things like hacking another company on this company's device because that would be a no-no. And sometimes you have to be really specific of what people and telling them don't do these things at work because that's just bad. Maybe you shouldn't do that at all. But it also builds trust with employees when they understand what's appropriate behavior, what's not, and what should I think about before I go ahead and take the actions I'm going to take. Anytime you have better understanding, I think it works well for everyone involved. Interesting. Um, what are the, the if, if you said this is the area that people fall short on the most, what would that be? People are so reluctant to say that they don't know, and I'm not sure why. I'm very comfortable in saying I don't know. I say it often. <laughs> um, there's a certain maturity in being honest and being able to say, you know, I'm not really certain. Let me find out and get back to you. It goes so much further than either lying about your expertise or giving the wrong answer because you're afraid of looking dumb. Everyone has a moment in time when they don't know, and it's okay to say that. But what I would encourage people to do is when you come upon this moment, do a little research, dig a little deeper. Same thing with what's going on currently, whether you're reading the news, newspaper, on the internet, don't just read the headlines, but dig a little deeper. Try to understand how things work and why they matter. Because to me, that's what's so much more interesting is what's this really about? People are too pressed for time, but is the quality of where you're spending time worth it? Or would you have a different opinion if you knew more about what was truly going on? So don't just blindly trust, but trust and verify and spend a little bit 
more time to make sure that what you understand to be going on is what's actually mirroring reality. Interesting. Okay, this was definitely an interesting listen for me because I'm not a discover in discovery person, and and um, your excitement on it is like wow, that you know, I never even thought about that that line of work. People go in and do that. It's actually something that I would almost avoid having to inter- having to <laughs> having to have done either way. It's like to me, it sounds like no matter who's doing it, whether it's a prosecutor or somebody doing it for, I would feel nervous about that and and some kind of apprehension and avoidance to the whole process is that i mean when you go in to talk to people is that you see does that come through a lot it's just like yeah of course nobody wants you know those people to show up and ask questions so i always ask clients would you like me to come in in a suit or would you like me to come in say like jeans or khakis because if you come in in a suit the people tend to distrust you very quickly because you're one of those people you're not one of us i don't know if i should trust you mm-hmm. but if i look like i'm relatable and i explain to you that i am here on your side and somebody from the company says yep she is working with us you start to realize oh okay this is all right. And I'm going to explain to you that I'm here to do the best job that I can to put us in the best position possible. Um, Help me do that and help me be able to understand what it is we need to know. I can start to gain people's confidence. If I come in, I'm unapproachable, I'm wearing a suit, and I try to act like I'm so much better than you, I'm not going to learn very much about you at all. And you're going to tend to shut down. and, And that's truly the worst thing that you want when you're trying to learn about any situation. So it's about being able to speak a language that anyone can relate to, asking the questions, why, tell me more, I don't understand, but help me get there and just know that I'm really here to be your advocate. And I think that's helpful in almost any situation. Okay. Well, good, good advice. And if I ever have to, uh, to get into this, I <laughs> will have a little bit of precursory knowledge of what to expect and what's going on. Um, just give me a call and I'll be happy to walk you through it. <laughs> well, thanks for that. And definitely thanks for joining today. In closing, anything you want to get out to our audience, any uh, services you offer, consulting that you do, recommendations or stuff that you would like to get out, go ahead and yeah, do that. Absolutely. So I am on LinkedIn. Anyone's welcome to reach out. I'm always happy. I really think that every conversation is worth happy having. Um, so if there's any way that I can give back, I've had some fantastic mentors and leaders help me along the way. I'm certainly happy to do that in return. Um, but take the time, learn some more, dig a little bit deeper. I will say um, in the last couple of years, I've had people who I thought were really strong leaders, either in politics or something else. And as I read a little bit more about their background or different things they've done in the course of their lives, I'm surprised by some of the things they've done. So. You know, don't just trust blindly, dig a little deeper and get comfortable asking why, because you learn so much more. It's really invaluable. All right. Well, thanks for joining today, Karen. It's definitely been been interesting, this for sure. Yes, you're very welcome anytime. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to New Cyber Frontier. Remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks. We keep you informed bring you the latest news, explore new trends, and find the hottest topics. With New Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert, just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. 
Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.